until I feel like the Lord is directing me another way, I feel like the Lord has me to go to this subject for maybe what we might call a mini-series or a short series of messages. And we started this last Sunday morning, and we talked about the importance of the subject of worship. Worship. And uh, several, uh, I told our church family last Sunday morning, especially for those that may not have been here for the service or uh, may not have been in the auditorium. I know sometimes we have people that are in the building, uh, but they're spread around in different locations and maybe not everyone that's here this morning was in the auditorium last Sunday morning. And so we started this series and I told our church family uh, that just through a series of events in the last several months, I just felt like the Lord was, was, was gearing my messages on Sunday morning to this particular subject of worship. And our theme this year, for the year of 2023, always abounding. And my life verse is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, which has that little phrase in there. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And so I wanted to talk about, we've been talking throughout the first part of this year about always abounding in, in several different subjects. We want to talk about always abounding in worship. And we want to be a worshiping church. We want to be a, a church that, that gives true worship to the Lord. And just to review, uh, last Sunday we dealt mainly with the Old Testament. And that's what I want to deal with today as well. We talked about what the Old Testament had to say about worship last Sunday morning. And uh, we're, going to, we're going to use an Old Testament passage again today from Isaiah chapter number 6. And again, I trust it uh, will be a blessing. I trust it might be an encouragement to you today as we go through this passage here in Isaiah chapter number 6. But just to remind us of what we touched on just last Sunday when we were talking about worship, uh, we talked about how that worship involves several things. And we touched on three of them last Sunday. And just by way of review, I want to share with you those three things uh, that we told you worship involves. Number one, last Sunday, we said worship involves putting away our idols. Putting away our idols. Because we've got to put God first. If we're going to worship God in, in true worship, He has got to be number one. So we've got to put away our idols. Or last week, we used the word sacrifice. But we've got to be, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, for point number one, we use the word obedience. We have to be obedient. God says, I've got to have first place. I've got to have preeminence. So we have to be willing to obey God. And I used the illustration last week. We went back to the Garden of Eden. When God was fellowshipping with Adam and Eve, remember he walked with them and he talked with them in the cool of the garden. He's, he's, he's in, the, in the cool of the garden fellowshipping. With Adam and Eve because that's what he created them to do. To fellowship with him and to have opportunity to worship him. Well, remember, something got in the way of that fellowship and worship, didn't it? They made their choice. They chose to do what they wanted to do instead of what God wanted to do. They chose to disobey. So their disobedience hindered their fellowship. It hindered their worship. They put something before God. They took of the fruit that God said you can't have. And they put that before God. And so the encouragement last Sunday is to put away the idols. We've got to put away what comes before God, what we might, uh, might have in our lives that's a priority over God so that we can live in obedience to him and have the fellowship and worship that he wants us to have. Then we said this number two. 
We said that worship, last Sunday we said worship involves joy. We come to God with a joyful heart. And I hope that as you're worshiping the Lord today, you've got joy in your heart. The Bible says that we are to make a joyful noise unto the Lord. And then it says, all ye lands. So it, we're all included in that, aren't we? Nobody's get, nobody gets out of it. Well, I don't have to worship the Lord with a joyful heart. Yes, because he says, all ye lands. We all have to worship the Lord with joyfulness. And then he goes on to say uh, that we're to have gladness in our heart as well. So we're to have joy. We're to have gladness. And I hope you've come today to worship the Lord with joy and gladness in your heart. It's like the psalmist said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I hope you've approached the house of God today with gladness and joy in your heart. So it involves putting away idols or obedience. But it also involves joy. But then the third thing we said last Sunday morning, and then we're going to go to Isaiah chapter 6 today, we said that worship also involves putting God first. Now remember, we told you there was a connection between number one and number two. We've got to put away the idols so that God can be first. So number one and number three, they go together. Number three must accompany number one. It's not about just one way or the other. You say, I'll put away the idols. God's not saying just to put away the idols. He's saying, when you put away the idols, you have to then put me first place. I've got to be first place in your life. When we come to worship the Lord at our church today, I hope that God is priority number one. And we gave a list last week of, of, of ways that we make God priority number one in our worship. We, we sing the best we can sing. And with a joyful heart, we give of all of our energy and all of our efforts as we sing. And then we listen with an open ear and an open heart and an open Bible to receive what God has for us. And then when the invitation draws the service to a close, if God's spoken to our hearts, we leave our seat if we're physically able and we make our way down to the altar and we frequent the altar often. We're, 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 it's something we, 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 are, we are often at, the altar. Because here's what we mean when we say worship involves putting God first. It's the word sacrifice. The word sacrifice. And we used the illustration last Sunday morning of Abraham and Isaac. When Abraham took his son Isaac to offer him on that altar, it required sacrifice, didn't it? And here's what it really required. It required giving of his best. He gave of his best by faith. He put his faith in God and he said, I'm going to give my best to you, God. I know that you're going to work all of this out, God, because you said to do it. And so I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to give of my best. So when we think about worship involving putting God first and sacrifice, it requires giving of our best to the Lord. And so I hope that when you've come here today, you've said, I'm going to give of my best to the Lord. I'm going to have an attentive ear right now. I'm going to have an open heart. I'm going to be listening. I'm going to respond as God speaks to me. I'm going to go out of my way to respond with joy today and to be a blessing to others that are around me in the house of God as we worship him. Well, I want us to go to Isaiah chapter 6 this morning, and I want us to stay in the Old Testament, and I want us to see what the Bible has to say about worship in Isaiah chapter number 6. And I hope this will be an encouragement to you this morning. Really, this, this message is going to boil down to four thoughts but then I'm going to take those four thoughts, and you'll understand when I, get to the, when, when I get to the main thought of the message, you'll understand what I mean by this. I'm going to take four truths that I think we're going to see in this passage of Scripture here in Isaiah chapter 6 today, and really I'm going to take those four things and narrow them down to three things that are important for our worship. 
And I hope it'll help you today. I hope it'll be an encouragement. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 6, if you would. And look with me, if you would, at verse number 1. And just to kind of get the context of the passage, this is a vision that the prophet Isaiah receives from God. Now, at the time, at the time of this passage, Isaiah had not been called to be a prophet yet. Matter of fact, this is going to be the moment when God does call him to be used as a prophet. But notice this vision that Isaiah has. We're going to start in verse number one. And as I go through the first couple verses, I want to draw your attention to a few things that are so important for us to remember in the first couple verses. And then the main thoughts that we're going to get are from the verses uh, starting at verse number five. But would you look at verse one and two and three and four at the start here? It says this in verse one. In the year that King Uzziah died. So this is the year that the king died. It says, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train, it says, filled the temple. Now, there's a couple things we want to notice right away in verse number one. Number one, this is Isaiah speaking here. So we know this is a vision that God gave specifically to Isaiah. What was it that Isaiah saw? Did you notice in the verse, verse number one, that the Bible tells us he sees the Lord sitting on his throne. Now, what a powerful vision that God gives to Isaiah. The Lord is sitting on his throne. The Bible tells us that this is happening in a specific place. Would you look down at the end of verse number one? The Bible says his train filled the temple. So this vision that Isaiah is seeing is God high and lifted up, which by the way is his proper place. High and lifted up. He's to be exalted, right? He's to be magnified. He's to be glorified. That's his proper place. He's high and he's lifted up. And the Bible tells us this vision is happening in the temple, which, again, we would be mindful of the temple. What's the temple? Well, the temple was a place where they would come to worship God, where his presence would be with his people in the temple. And so here's this vision of the Lord high and lifted up on his throne in the temple. And notice what the Bible says at the end of verse number one. His train filled the temple. So this vision shown to Isaiah is Jesus sitting on this throne, high and lifted up in the temple with his kingly garment or his kingly robe filling the temple. The Bible tells us this garment that Jesus is wearing, the Lord is wearing, is filling the temple. Now notice with me, if you would, verse number two. Above it stood the seraphim. Each one had six wings. With twain or two, he, he covered his face. And with twain or two, he covered his feet. And with twain or two, he did fly. So the Bible now gives us a picture at that temple as Isaiah is visualizing this throne that Jesus is sitting on, the Lord is sitting on, high and lifted up with his kingly garment or kingly robe filling the temple, the Bible tells us now these seraphim join the scene. Now these seraphims are spiritual beings. Almost the idea that we would say, of course, is an angel. And so here are these spiritual beings, but we want to identify these seraphims in a specific way. 
we would refer to them as the worshipers of God. They are the worshipers of God. So here, Isaiah not only sees the Lord high and lifted up, but he also sees angels, these spiritual beings, these seraphim that the Bible tells us are the worshipers of God, worshiping the Lord. But we got to go a step further because I think we fail to really recognize what the seraphim teach us unless we go a step further. The seraphim are not only worshipers of God, they are also ministers of God. They are ministers of God. You say, well, what, what would you mean when you refer to them as ministers of God? Well, the Bible tells us as they are worshiping and as they are, as they are worshipers and ministers of God, they are attending to the Lord. And what we mean by that is this. Not only are they reflecting his glory, that's the way they worship him. So they're reflecting his glory but then we go a step further because they are ministers of God. They are also waiting at the throne of God. Now you got to catch this. They are waiting at the throne of God to receive his commands and then to execute them. Now, if that is not an example for you and I, what a great example, right? We ought to be like the seraphim. Today, if we're worshiping the Lord, we've got to be like the seraphim. Let, let's, go, let's go over what we just said and put a personal application to it. We, as God's people, must be worshipers of the Lord. We've got to worship the Lord. We've got to give him the honor and the glory that he deserves. We've got to be the ones that reflect his glory. As a matter of fact, that's why he created us. He created us to bring honor and glory to his precious name. He created us to reflect his glory. We are worshipers of God if we are saved. If we're on our way to heaven today and we say, I know for sure I've trusted Christ as my Savior, you're a worshiper of God. Or at least that's what God desires of you, that you would be like the seraphim. And you'd say, I want to worship God. I want to attend to my Lord. I want to reflect his glory and bring all honor and glory to him. But then let's go a step further. Because remember, we also told you they are ministers of the Lord. Oh, what an example for us. That not only we would be worshipers of the Lord, but we would be ministers of the Lord as well. As we are attending to our Lord, reflecting his glory and giving him all honor and glory and praise. Guess what we also are doing? Just like the seraphim, we are waiting for his commands. And then once we receive his commands, we want to execute them, don't we? As a matter of fact, we're going to get to see the perfect pattern of this from the prophet Isaiah here in just a moment. You've, you've got to recognize, when we go on here in just a moment, you've got to recognize that Isaiah, the prophet, gives us a wonderful picture of what you and I ought to be as far as accomplishing what the seraphim are. Isaiah is going to show us a wonderful picture of that, that he worships God and he's also a minister of God waiting for the commands that God has to give him and then executing them. What an example for us. Now, I think really the examples could be given through the seraphim, but really I think what it teaches us is simply this, that worship ultimately leads to service, doesn't it? See, remember we told you they are worshipers, but they also are ministers. Which means that if we are worshiping the Lord the way we should, it's going to lead us to be a people who desire to serve him. Man, we're going to get active in serving the Lord. 
Because we, it, we get, we, we'll get to a place as a child of God where we say, I, I feel as if I can't worship him without serving him. I've got to do something for him, right? So worshiping leads to service. And can I say this? Service is an important part of our worship. You know, Sunday school teachers, when you just serve the Lord by teaching your class, you were worshiping God. Those bus workers that got on the bus this morning, I was so glad to be a part of that this morning. Those bus workers that got on the bus this morning, they were worshiping God because they were serving him. Isn't it wonderful that we can bring worship to God in just the fact that we are humble enough to be used of God and to serve him in ways that he allows us to be used for his honor and his glory. Now look at verse 3 if you would. Verse 3 says this, And one cried unto another. All right, so here's the seraphim. They are ministers. <coughs> Excuse me, they are worshipers. And the Bible says they are, Isaiah's picturing all this. He's got the, the Lord high and lifted up, s- sitting on this throne. His train or his kingly garment fills the entire temple. Man, what a, what a massive garment to represent the, the kingship of Jesus and how worthy he is, high and lifted up. Then these seraphim become worshipers of Christ and ministers of Christ. And then they start to use their mouth to begin to praise him. And they start to use their mouth to worship him. Notice what the Bible says. The one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, can I say this before we go any further? Would you not agree with what that seraphim said there in verse 3? Holy, holy, holy. God is holy, isn't he? Now, how would, we, how would we define that word holy when we are talking about our God? We would define it this way. God is perfect in every way. God is holy today, isn't he? And that's why we would say he deserves our praise. Because he is holy. And the Bible says this, the whole earth is full of his glory. Oh, he's such a holy God that the whole entire earth is full of the glory of God. And by the way, it doesn't take us long to look around and see that that statement is true. The whole earth is full of his glory. If it would just be looking around this auditorium at the the people that are represented by Christians in here today, those that know Jesus as their Savior. And again, I'm not assuming in any way that everybody knows Christ. But for those of us who do know Christ as Savior, there we are right there. We're seeing the glory of God right there, aren't we? And you go outside the, 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 the back doors of this building and you go out uh, into the parking lot and it doesn't take you long to look around and see the glory of God. The whole earth is full of his glory. Wow, what a picture the seraphim give to us. Did you notice there's several things the seraphim do that are perfect examples for us? Let, let me just have you notice them real quick. When we are confronted, just like the seraphim were, when we are confronted with Jesus... There really is only one way to respond, and that is with reverence. When we are confronted with Jesus, we respond with reverence. Isn't that what the seraphim did? They're confronted with Jesus. He's high and lifted up on his throne. His train fills the temple. And how do they respond? They respond the only way you can, with reverence. Notice how they do it. Would you notice verse number two? Verse number two, back to verse number two a minute. Above it, what's the next word? Stood the seraphim. Oh, in the presence of Almighty God, they show reverence by standing. 
And then the Bible tells us in verse number two, they start to cry out, holy, holy, holy. The whole earth is full of his glory. Then they begin to worship him. So what's the pattern when we're confronted with Jesus? We can do nothing but show reverence. Now the reverence they happened to show was they stood. And with their mouth they began to express the goodness of God and how glorious, how, excuse me, how, how, how much glory he deserves. And they worship him with their mouth. Now, does that mean that we cannot bow before him and show reverence? Certainly we know that's true. We could bow before the Lord. We could sit and still show reverence to the Lord. But the truth is, is when we are confronted with Jesus, the only response is reverence to him because of how holy he is and how much the Bible says the earth is full of his glory. Now, notice a step further in verse number four. Notice what the Bible says in verse number four. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried and the house was filled with smoke. The Bible tells us that the post of the door of the temple started shaking just by the voice that was coming out to give praise and reverence and worship to the Lord. It began to shake. The Bible tells us the post of the doors of the temple and then the Bible tells us there was smoke. Notice that at the end of verse number four, and the house was filled with smoke. Now, smoke in the word of God certainly has several pictures, but one of the pictures smoke has is the presence and the glory of God. Here's the presence and the glory of God in the temple. And the Bible tells us these posts of the door in the temple there begin to shake at the sound of that seraphim and then the Bible tells us smoke begins to fill that temple. Now someone once said this about verse number four and it really got me thinking about how true this was, especially of the nation of Israel. I came across this idea or this thought as I was studying through this message. Someone said this statement. They said the post moved in verse number four or shook. But sadly, the hearts of men remained motionless. Think about that today. Of how the praise of these angels shook the post of the door. But sadly, the hearts of those that were in the nation of Israel, they still remained motionless. Except for one. And his name was Isaiah. And we're going to get to the thoughts about him right now. Look with me, if you would, at verse number 9. I want you to notice this man named Isaiah. And I want us to see his worship quickly as we finish this message this morning. I want us to notice as we go through verse 5 down to verse number 9. I want you to notice quickly four elements that must be present for true worship to take place. Four elements that we see in Isaiah chapter 6 that must be present for true worship to take place. Notice the elements that we see in verse 5 down to verse number 9. Would you look at verse number 5 with me? Then said I, now this is Isaiah now, and this is after he sees this vision. Then said I, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. He's not only acknowledging his sin, but he's acknowledging the sin and the failures and the shortcomings of the nation of Israel as well. Remember what we said? The post of the door shook, but the hearts of man remained motionless. The nation of Israel had sinned against God. 
And Isaiah said, I recognize it, but not only do I recognize mine, but I recognize the people as being an un people of unclean lips. Then notice the end of verse number five. For mine eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Now the first thing I want us to notice, what is the first element in our life that must be present for true worship to take place? The first element is found in verse number five and it is confession of sin. If we're going to truly worship God the way he wants us to worship him, we've got to make sure that all sin is confessed. We've got to come to God to worship him with confessed sin, a heart that is clean. Now, can I say this about confession of sin? This has to take place on our end. It's our part to make sure our sin is confessed. It's not about looking around at everybody else in the auditorium or everybody else in your home or everybody else in your family or everybody else that you know in the workplace and say, well, they've got a problem with this sin or this sin or they've got this difficulty or this weakness in their life. No, it's not about looking at everybody else. It's about looking in our own hearts and saying, God, I've got to take care of it on my end. This is something you need me to do on my part. Did you notice what happened here? The closer Isaiah got to God, the more noticeable were his impurities. The more noticeable were his imperfections. The more noticeable were his failures. The more noticeable his sin became. And oh, what an application for us. The closer you get to God, that's when you start to notice your imperfections because he's a holy God. He's a God that is perfect in every way. And the closer you get to him, would you acknowledge that with me today, church? The closer you get to God, the more you start to notice your imperfections. You start to notice your shortcomings. You start to notice your sins and your failures. And that's exactly what God wants. He wants us to draw close to him so that with his holiness, we'll be able to see our imperfections so that we can deal with them and so that we can get them right. Can I say this? We seem so imperfect next to a person that is so perfect. When you get close to God, that which is perfect, the standard of holiness, you in your life will seem so imperfect. So here's what God wants us to do. Let's look at a couple verses real quick. If you, be, if you take, your, take the time to look real quickly, look at Psalm 139 with me if you would. Psalm 139. And look with me if you would at verse number 23. Psalm 139 and look at verse 23. Here's what God desires of us so that we can worship him in true worship. Look at Psalm 139. <clears throat> look down with me if you would at verse number 20, 23. Psalm 139, verse 23. By the way, as I'm reading these verses, would you notice the personal pronouns here? Would you notice the psalmist is not talking about anybody else. The psalmist is saying, God, as I've drawn closer to you, I, you've revealed to me my imperfections because of your perfectness, and now I want to deal with it. I've got to deal with it myself. I can't worry about anybody else's. So notice what the psalmist says. He says, search me. Oh God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. 
Here's what God desires of us as his people. If we're going to truly worship him, we've got to get to the place where we open our hearts and our minds to his divine searchlight and we let him search us out. And by the way, his searchlight will show us our imperfections, won't it? His, his searchlight will show us our failures, will show us our sins, will show us our shortcomings. And then once he's revealed those things to us, it's not always comfortable. It's not always comfortable when he reveals it to us. But when we allow, when we open our minds and we open our hearts to his divine searchlight, he will reveal to us the things that we have struggles with, the things that we need to confess. And then again, that's on our part. We've got to get those things dealt with and we've got to get them forgiven and confessed. So here's Isaiah. What a picture we have. In the presence of Almighty God, sinful men with tender hearts respond the way Isaiah did. Can I say to you today, the application is this. You need to respond the way Isaiah did. You need to have a tender heart enough to say, God, I'm going to respond to your holiness with reverence, and fear, and to get things dealt with that need to be dealt with. As we get closer to God, it reveals to us our imperfections and the fact that we need to deal with it. Here's what God asked for us. Would you turn to Psalm 51 for a moment? Psalm 51, and let's notice what God asked of us. We're staying right here in Psalm for just a moment. Look at Psalm 51 and look down to verse 16. It says this, For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou desirest, excuse me, thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. What is the psalmist saying here? The psalmist is saying, and David is acknowledging as the psalmist, that God is not interested in outward sacrifices. He's not interested in that which we can outwardly give as sacrifices to him, but he is wanting us to come humbly to him. He's wanting us to have an attitude of repentance. By the way, the attitude or the spirit of repentance is one that God will never turn away. God is not going to turn you away when you go to confess your sins and when you go to repent. And when you come to him with a broken and a contrite, or that word contrite has the idea of a crushed spirit. I'm I'm broken and I'm crushed because I realize how much I've failed a holy God. And I'm coming to him not with outward sacrifices, but asking God to search me inwardly and coming with a broken and a crushed spirit. And that is the spirit that God will never turn away. You say, how do you know that to be true? Because 1 John chapter 1, verse number 9 tells me that. The Bible says if we confess our sins, that word confess there in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 means that we agree with God about it. Meaning, God, I see the struggles and the failures and the shortcomings and the sins and the imperfections in my life. It's not about looking at all the other faults and failures of those around us. Although, by the way, those are always the easiest ones to see, aren't they? We have struggles seeing our own, don't we? It's about looking inwardly and saying, God, I have to have you deal with this. And he says, if you confess your sin, you agree with God about it, he is faithful and he's just. The word faithful means he'll do it every time. See, if you come to God with a broken and a crushed spirit and you're asking him to confess your sins so that you can truly worship the Lord with a clean and a pure heart, 
God says, I'll do it every single time. You come and you confess and God says, you'll be able to find mercy. He says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God wants us to come to worship him with a clean heart. Now, confession is on our end, but now we're going to quickly talk about something that's on God's end. Would you look with me back to Isaiah chapter 6 for just a moment? We're coming towards a close here. Isaiah chapter 6, and look with me if you would at verse number 6. Isaiah chapter 6, and now let's look it down at verse number 6. Remember we were talking about four elements that must be present for true worship to take place. Number one, we've got to confess our sin. Whose part is that on? It's on our part. But now look with me at the part that is on God. Look at what it says in verse 6 and verse number 7. Then flew one of the seraphim unto me, having a live coal in his hand. By the way, the live coal that is in the hand of the seraphim is a picture of the assurance of pardon. Isaiah, you asked for pardon, and now the assurance of your pardon is that this live coal is coming towards you. Notice what the Bible says about this live coal. Having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Now, if confession is our part, what is God's part? God's part is the cleansing. Number two, the second element to worship God in true worship to Almighty God, the second element that must be present is cleansing of sin. So number one, confession of sin, that's on our end. That's our part. We've got to do that. But God is responsible for the cleansing, and aren't you glad he'll do it every time? God will cleanse you every time. So you say, well, the second element in worship, then that's not really up to me. That's up to God. Yes, but he's faithful. He'll do it every time. He will cleanse you every time you come to him and ask. So number one, we've got to confess our sin. But then on God's end, he is willing to cleanse us of our sin. Now, point number one and point number two in this message point to something that I want you to notice about the prophet Isaiah. Here's what I want us to notice about the prophet Isaiah. I want us to notice that the prophet Isaiah had it right when it came to his spirit. He had it right when it came to his spirit. If you're going to worship God the right way, you've got to have it right when it comes to your spirit. You've got to have your sin confessed and God is responsible for the cleansing. But then let's notice the last two elements of our true worship before God that we see in these verses. Would you look down with me if you would at verse number 8. Verse number 8 says this, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, This is going to be a familiar verse to many of you. This is Isaiah's calling right here. Isaiah's being used of God in a great way. Look what it says. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Isaiah hears a voice. Who is it? It's the voice of the Lord. And the Lord asked him a question. Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I. Send me. The third element that must be in our lives 
in order for us to have true worship before God, number one, we've got to have confession of sin. That's on our part. We've got to have cleansing from sin. That's on, that's on God's part. And that means we're coming to him with the right spirit. But then number three, we have to have a commitment to do God's will. We've got to be committed to do the will of God. The Bible tells us that God calls Isaiah. And by the way, the calling is on God's end. I, I can't call anybody to the service. I hope you understand that. I, I can't call you to do anything for God, but he can, can he? So the calling is on God's end, but the volunteering is on our end. See, we volunteer for what God calls us to do. God's asking a question here. Who shall I send? Who will go for us? It's almost a picture of Isaiah saying, ooh, 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 me. I'll do it. Pick me, pick me. Here am I. Send me, Isaiah says. It's a picture of Isaiah volunteering for what God had called him to do. So yes, just like the confession is on our end and the cleansing is on God's end, the calling is on God's end and the volunteering is on our end. We've just got to be committed to do His will. And as we're committed to do His will, and whatever it is that God would have for us to do, it goes back to what we said last week, obedience to what God would have us to do. Then we have the opportunity to worship God in a true way. So can I say this about Isaiah? Number one, he had it right with his spirit. But number two, he has it right with surrender. He has it right with surrender. And in order to worship God in a true way of worship, we've got to have it right with our spirit. We've got to have our sins confessed, God to cleanse our sins. But we've also got to have it right with our surrender. We've got to commit to do the will of God for our lives. And you know there might be somebody that's sitting here today and you might be able to give a testimony of salvation. You might be able to say there's a time in my life where I put my faith and trust in the Lord, but yet you've, yet you've never surrendered. You've never told the Lord, I take my hands off my life and I surrender to do whatever it is that you'd have for me to do. I, I give you my everything, God. And then as you volunteer, God's willing then to call you to do something maybe great and mighty for him. You've got to get to a place where you commit to do his will. You surrender to that. You've got to have it right when it comes to surrender so that you can be truly worshiping the Lord the way that God wants you to worship. You say, well, why is surrender so important? Well, you're not going to truly worship God the way that, you, that he desires for you to worship him if you haven't taken your hands off your life and you're still the one that's in control. I hope that makes sense to you. You're not going to worship God the way he wants you to if you're saying, it's about me and my pleasures and my desires. No, you've got to take your hands off of everything. And then you get to worship God the true way. Look with me, if you would, the last thought, and we'll be finished. Look at verse 9. It says, and he said, go and tell this people, and we'll stop right there. Go and tell. The last element that must be in the lives of those who desire to worship God in a true way is commission. Commission. Notice we said confession of our sin and then the cleansing that takes place on God's end. Then we're committed to do His will and then commission from God. What does God say? God says, go and tell. You know, God has already given us the great commission, hasn't He? As his people, though, we've got to submit to it. We've got to say, God, this is what you desire for me to do. You desire for me to go and to tell. Can I say this about Isaiah? Isaiah had it, had it right when it came to service. 
He had it right with his spirit. We've got to have it right with our spirit to worship God the right way. He had it right with surrender, but he also had it right with service. Remember what we said about service? Worship leads us to service, isn't it? doesn't it? And then as we are serving the Lord, that's a way that we're able to worship the Lord. Our worship is reflected by our service. We're serving the Lord and reflecting as we serve him, reflecting praise and honor and glory to him. Remember I told you at the start of the message we were going to have four elements, but we were going to narrow those down to three different truths about worship. So let me remind you of those four elements that must be in the lives of of a child of God in order to worship God in a true way. There's got to be confession of sin. That's on our part. Then there's got to be cleansing of sin, meaning we have to have it right, number one, with our spirit. But then we have to be committed to do the will of God for our lives. We've got to have it right when it comes to our surrender. We're never going to worship God the way he desires for us to worship until we've surrendered to him. But then we got to have it right when it comes to our service, God's commission to go and tell. May we be faithful as we serve him to go and do what he desires for us to do in our lives. May we just give it all over to him today. You know, maybe there's somebody here today who's never trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. Maybe you're sitting here today, you've come to the service, but yet you've never come to the Savior. I trust that if that is you, that you would, in just a moment, when we give our invitation, you would be willing to respond and come to the front and let somebody show you from the Bible how you can know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Then maybe as a Christian, you would say, you know, there's some things in my life right now that I've got to get dealt with. I've got to get them right between, between me and God. I've got to confess some things so that I can worship him the way he desires for me to worship him. And as I confess those things that I know that should not be in my life, he gives me the promise that he will cleanse me of my sin, cleanse me from all my unrighteousness. You know, there might be a Christian in here that would say today, I have never surrendered to the Lord. No matter what age you are, by the way, you're never too young to surrender, and you're never too old to surrender. Isn't that great? You can surrender to the Lord no matter what age you are. If you're a child of God, surrender to him. Take your hands off your life and let God have his perfect way and will in your life. And then maybe there's somebody here today that would say, you know, I'm really just not serving God the way that I know he would desire, me, desire for me to serve him. Maybe it's in this idea of going, excuse me, going and telling just to be faithful to go and give the message to others that are lost. Maybe it's an area of service that God wants you to serve him in and you've just failed to submit to that yet. Let's have it right with our spirit and let's have it right with our surrender and let's have it right with our service so that we can worship God the way that he desires for us to worship him. Father, I thank you for the truths of God's word today that you have given to us from the passage of scripture here in Isaiah chapter number 6. 